Hello, hello, hello. I am your Juliana Huike, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. goosebumps. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most, this Munoz. And how you doing? Oh my goodness, we are plowing away through March here. The weather is gorgeous. The daylight saving time really messed my life up for a moment. But we are here. We are better. We are stronger. We are getting all the vitamin D here in New York City. And I couldn't be happier that spring is coming and soon it will be summer. Um, yeah, it's been quite a couple weeks with the news cycle and you know we don't like to really get into it here, but hopefully out there you're getting some, you know, some good sunshine, some vitamin D, um, spreading some joy and taking times for a Away from the news cycle and for yourself out there eating good things, you know, eating delicious things. And that's about it. I am cutting it short, this intro short, uh, this week because I am super, super excited to have this celebrity on with me today because she is surely a celebrity that I have been trying to get on the podcast for a little while now. And I am super excited to have her here. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Ileana Maisonette. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> yeah, you talk, that was a short introduction. Wow. Okay. How long can these go? Oh, oh my God. I can ramble <laughs> on forever, girl. I can ramble on forever. If you just let me talk, uh, I'm a talker. <laughs> it's a good thing that you asked me about my last name because, you know, like, there's only one way to pronounce my first name, which is Eliana, even though for some reason I will literally pronounce it for people, Eliana, and they will instantly repeat Eliana. And I'm like, no, like, did you not just hear what I said? I said Eliana, but our last name, it is, you know, it's like a name from the colonizers. Mm-hmm. So it's French, so you know they say maisonet, but the Spanish say maisonet, and then we're lazy, so we just say maisonet. 
<laughs> so it really depends on where we are in the world. When I was in Paris, they were like, you know, that's a French thing. I'm like, yeah, did you guys forget all the people that you colonized? Like, okay. <laughs> we're going. We're, oh, okay. Gonna, like, you're just going to take us right there. Let's do well, it. I mean, let's, dude, there's no way for me to talk about my last name without talking about that shit. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed already. And in your mouth, listeners, you're just not ready. You're not ready for what's to come. But, Ileana, before we get anywhere... I have to do what I do. And in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Chips and Dip Day. Really? In Your Mouth listeners, I'm not kidding. I don't make this up. Listen. March, I know you don't. Why March, is it National Day for almost everything now? Yeah. March 23rd happens to be National Chips and, chips and uh, Dips Day. Chips and dip day, you know? You know, we as Puerto Rican, you know, sisters over here, aren't, uh, we're not a chips and dip nation. No. <laughs> no, I can't think of one single dip other than, you know... Uh, Platanos and like mayo ketchup. Yeah, that's like... Can that be considered chips and dip? But I mean, what's the stuff, the mezcla is kind of like a dip that they turn into sandwich paste you know the spam and mayonnaise and pimento uh, yeah. thing mm-hmm. i mean sometimes when they have leftovers they use that as a dip i mean it's it's delicious no it's not it's horrible <laughs> it's it's like processed cheese and processed meat what's not <laughs> delicious about it <laughs> it's literally whipped for you it's whipped for your pleasure yes <laughs> oh my gosh now here's a grand debate right but really quickly are we are we a tostitos hint of lime gal or do we not like the hint of lime i hear i feel like that's a, a debatable chip um, I do like the Tostitos Hints of Lime. I especially like it with, like, um, mariscos, like ceviche and stuff. Oh, delicious. Yeah, yeah I love of it. Of course that. you took us to someplace fabulous. <laughs> well, you know, California, when the West was stolen from Mexico, I mean, you know, that's like, there are trucks that serve ceviche mariscos. Like, oh, my God. There is a place here in New York City called Los Tacos Numero Uno. Um, delicious. They are Californian. They came from California here. Oh, okay. And they serve like aguachiles and mariscos mm. and and things like that. De scrumptious. Yeah. Scrumptious. See. See. Yeah. Yep. You know. Now, uh, last question: Can a tortilla be considered a chip, or is a tortilla a chip and potatoes are the actual OG chip? Are we just blanket statementing here? Well, tortillas aren't chips until you fry them, though, right? Until you Not, neither in. are potatoes. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought about that. Mind blown. Well, what, there, nothing is a chip until it is cut into a chip formation and then fried or baked, right? Um, I guess. So that by your logic, like anything could be a chip. Well, there are lots of different chips, like sweet potatoes and... Yucca chips and mm, yeah, those uh, can pork rinds be a chip then? How far um, are we bouncing this ball? Is a hot call? is a hot dog a sandwich? 
That's is so ice weird. cream soup? Wait a minute. What do they call chicharrones then? What do they call pork rinds? Do they don't call them chips? No. Oh. But they're in the chip section. <laughs> they're in the chip section, though. We're going to leave you with that in your mouth, listeners, because no matter what you celebrate, whether it's a sweet potato chip, a potato chip, a tortilla chip, or the chip off the block, I don't know. We celebrate you on this day. And moving right along to this day in gay history, once again, we are shouting out our Ukrainian LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters who are on the ground fighting for their freedom and their country, as well as, Ileana, did you know that in 1988, Israel legalizes homosexual acts between consenting adults? 1988. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, factoids. We like to provide factoids and keep the children in the know on this podcast. But moving right along in your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, and you probably already do, Ileana Maisonette is the first, hear me now, the first Puerto Rican food columnist in the country. Her new cookbook, Diasporican, includes over 90 delicious, deeply personal recipes that tell the story of Puerto Rico's stateside diaspora. Her work has been featured in Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Savour, Eating Well, Food 52, SF Chronicle, Delish, The Takeaway Podcast, and now, in your mouth, hello. <laughs> Ileana spent years documenting her family's Puerto Rican recipes and preserving the islands disappearing foodways through rigorous, often bilingual research. Diasporican is a visual record of Puerto Rican food, Puerto Rico and California, in which Ileana traces the island's flavor traditions to the Taino, Spanish, African, and even United States cultures that created it. These dishes, shaped by geography, immigration, and colonization, reflect the ingenuity and diversity of their people. Filled with travel and food photography, Diasporican reveals how food connects us to family, history, conflict, and migration. My favorite part of your bio, Ileana, is she has been hailed by Michael Twitty as the beard all the gays need. <laughs> did he say that? <laughs> he sure as hell did. He's a maniac. <laughs> Listen, for as much as I, I have the entire LGBT food community on here, we need our allies with us, honey, right? Especially, especially folks like you, honey, right? Um, and my favorite part of this is that uh, Michael Twitty, in your mouth listeners, Michael Twitty slid into my uh, into my phone messages the other day, and he was like, you need to have her on your podcast tomorrow. L- unbeknownst to him, I was already in talks with you, right, for quite some time. Unbeknownst actually. to him, you had ghosted me, and it wasn't until he got on your ass that you came around back the way <laughs> and said, oh, I forgot about you, and hey, let's do this. I didn't forget. I'm a busy woman. I'm trying to have my own career, too. Well, you can't have it all, okay? We've learned that already. I'm dead. I am absolutely dead. He hit me up, too, and I'm like, 
I'm like, he was supposed to have me on already. And he's like, I know, oh, but facts are facts. Listen, facts are facts, America. We can, I have the receipts. We can go way back, but even before Michael Twitty, when I reached out, right? It's been years now, probably. So, so, yeah. but you know what? I always say, uh, my guests come on. It's always Kismet, the spirit of the ancestors, whatever you want to call it, that my guests show up at the right time for the both of us to meet. Um, which is super, super special. And I want to start in a place um, because, you know, I highlight a lot of the LGBT food community here, and I wanted to start, and you're the perfect person to start with this, uh, start this with, um, the the cultural aspect, the, the Latino aspect, because as, as somebody who... Um, is part is largely part of diaspora culture being a new yorkerican mm. myself you mm. know it's a big piece of me that i try to talk about here on the pod but never never with anybody as as knowledgeable as deep in it as you are right mm. and starting mm. starting from a place of being the first puerto rican food columnist what what has that journey been like um you know i don't i didn't know that I was the first Puerto Rican food columnist until after I started my column. There isn't like a whole, there isn't a whole lot written about Puerto Rican food because I don't think that either people don't understand it or because there just isn't a lot of attention on it. You know what I mean? Like, so to get to this place. Do you think, uh, let me interrupt you for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think is there's not a lot of attention on it because like a lot of like certain cultural foods, right? Mm-hmm. Takeout foods for that matter, you know, it's considered less than lowbrow cheap. Is that the reason? No, because there's not even an opportunity for them to find out that the food is cheap because they don't know anything about it. I mean, think about it. There I wrote an article when I was still a columnist about why there aren't any Puerto Rican, there are not that many Puerto Rican restaurants. So there's not really an opportunity for them to even go and try the food, you know? Yeah. Unless, you know, they go on a cruise, which most of them do, that's like the first contact with Puerto Rico is on, you know, the ship cruises, and then they get there. But even then, they're kind of, uh, you know, corralled around by guides and people whose best interest is to have them go to places where they get kind of like a kickback. And those places aren't always necessarily good. There's still a lot of really not so great, not to say not so great places to eat in Old San Juan, which is the only is port is the only place that they get to visit when they're in Puerto Rico. Yeah, and nobody wants to go to Senor Frogs. No, I don't think there is. Is one Puerto Rico? <laughs> I'm trying to. Think. I don't know, but I was I have been on a cruise that port that stopped in Old San Juan, the port, but. Uh-huh. On that cruise, we were never allowed off the boat that long. So, right, like, exactly. the only place to go was Senor Frogs in every right. port, you know? You get, like, a limited amount of time that you have to be back to the ship, right? Yep. Yeah. So, continuing on this path of what it was like being the first Puerto Rican food columnist and discovering that and what that means, right? Uh, continue that, down that road. It was a little, it was kind of a hard sell, at first, but it was pretty well received. When I first started, so many Puerto Ricans had reached out to me and said, you know, oh, like we needed this for so long. A lot of them were very eager to help me too, but I think that's because they thought 
that they expected and they thought that something else was going to get delivered than what I ended up delivering, you know? Like, they were all very old-fashioned Puerto Ricans. They were very kind of the rigid Puerto Ricans, like, oh, like, Puerto Rican food has to be this way, and I wasn't really like that because, you know, you talk about you being a New York Rican. Well, I'm a Cali Rican. We're never going to be, like, real Puerto Ricans to, you know, the Puerto Ricans of La Isla. That's just how it is. That, so, it, it, that's, those are facts. Facts right, are facts, so America. we have to kind of carve out our own identities as, you know, Cali Ricans, New York Ricans, Florida Ricans, you know, whatever the hell. And a lot of those Puerto Ricans that came to me were super excited at first because they thought that it was going to be something else, and it didn't end up like that. So, you know, one older man reached out to me, and he was so excited at first, and he was, like, totally supportive. And he was saying that he wanted, for so long, he was looking for, like, a Puerto Rican chef to back financially and open a restaurant and stuff. And that he thought that I was going to be, like, the chosen one. And I had a demo, like a chef's demo, at the Ferry Building in San Francisco. And he came, he attended. But the dish that I served was, like, so cerebral that he couldn't really comprehend it. And he ended up hating it. Even so, at the demo, he started kind of, like, um, heckling me with his friend. Like, they came, and then once he saw that it was, like, something else that he didn't understand, him and his friend were, like, in the front row, and they were just, like... I was getting introduced, and they were just talking super loud over the whole thing until the person that was introduced to me, like, went, hello, excuse me, and then they looked. And she's like, you know, if you can't be polite and you can't be, you know, like, observant or whatever, I'm going to ask you to leave. And he got up and left, and he was like, you know, that's not Puerto Rican. Like, on his way out, he said, that's not Puerto Rican. And it was like, it ended up being the Khalifa shrimp dish that's in my book. And I said... Okay, but the dish is literally based on, like, historical accounts of things that were fed to Tainos and enslaved peoples, though. It's not exactly what it was, but it's interpretation. It's funche, which is Puerto Rican. I said, is that Puerto Rican? And he said, yes. I said, well, is bacalaito, you know, or bacalao vizcaína, is that Puerto Rican? And he said, yes. I said, okay, then. Then these two, they may not be together. I said, but these two combined, it's still, in essence, a Puerto Rican fucking dish. And because you might not have eaten funche growing up, that already tells me that you're probably well off. Because a lot of well off Puerto Ricans didn't want to be associated with eating funche because it was a poor man's dish. Mm-hmm. That you think because I'm doing this, then it's not Puerto Rican, but it is. You're just too blind to see that. You're too stuck in your old ways. You don't want to see anything evolved yeah mm-hmm. 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 and that's what it was I mean, like being a puerto rican food columnist in the beginning <laughs> oh, i mean where does it come from where did and i ask where it comes from kind of in a larger sense and i'm sure you and i could be here for eight hours which we're not going to be but even even in i'm sure you get this too even navigating my normal life through this city whether i'm waiting tables at any given point or or meet somebody that's you know ultra puerto rican it's it's never it's never good enough it's never puerto no. rican enough it's no. never it's it's just never right no and i mean i've gotten comments being like oh we're practicing our spanish today and i'm like no actually <laughs> this is this is how it is and so on and so forth. And I'm sorry that I grew up here, right? right and went to right. school. Right. Like, what? Exactly. Like, where does it come from and why? 
You know our people are catty as fuck. Let's be real about that. They I mean, love the bochinche. one way they to They live be- for the bochinche. I live for the bochinche. <laughs> they live for the drama. They live for the theatrics. They live, they call storytellers. We had to create a new word for them because in hindsight, they're really just kind of like, you know, blowing shit up. Like, bro, you're lying. But we had to call them storytellers because we couldn't call them liars. I mean, <laughs> it sounds all all very similar to everything that I am, yet I'm not, I'm yes. not, as, ha- I'm not as hateful. <laughs> It's everything that I am too. It's like you know, for all of the things that they are, they are all of those things. But then, and when you go there, I feel like you know, unless you kind of have a community there, you mostly kind of you're on the receiving end of all the things that I talk about, which, which are all. I mean, they can be seen as negative. I mean, I personally don't see being catty or living for cheese man as being a negative thing. You know, I don't because that's a part of me. But you really have to have like a community there or a family there, whether it's, you know, your biological family or the family that you eventually make along the way in your life to see all of the other positive aspects of what, you know, Puerto Ricans are too. loving, generous, you know, willing to give you the back, the shirts off their back, you know, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's two sides of the it's two sides of a coin here you know, in loving the culture and trying to relate to the culture, not growing up deep in it and trying to, you know, have it be part of your life. And our journey is obviously very different, but... But what do you consider deep into it, though? Like, is your... Are your mom and dad Puerto Rican? They are, except for my mom was born here and my dad was born there. Okay, and, like, did you at any point, like, have a grandparent that lived with you, though, that was also from there? Okay, so I don't see how that's not deep in it. Like, you're surrounded by the shit. Yes, uh, but... Yeah, it's it's a fucked up mindset. What do you consider deep in it? That you didn't live there? Yes, in the sense of, you know what? Way to point this out. Never realized it, or maybe I did, and now I'm just vocalizing it, but... In the sense of calling it deep in it and feeling not deep in it because it's it's the island Puerto Ricans, you know, and those certain people, not everybody, making you feel like you're not good enough, right? Or mm. you're not you're not ingrained enough, or you're not whatever enough. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, and then growing up, growing up, gay, and not knowing what that meant because God forbid we talk about anything, right? In <laughs> <laughs> within the culture, right, or or serious things, and not knowing what it meant, right, being different in general was a big negative for me. So I was like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be Puerto Rican. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be anything. I just mm-hmm. like everybody, leave me alone, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I said no to everything. So so that's what I mean about being like deep in it. You know what I mean? Hmm. What exactly are the things you said no to? Can I have an example? Yeah, uh, salsa dancing? Absolutely not. I will not salsa dance on TV. It is in my writer. I have told you. (laughs) I've never had a chance to do salsa dance on TV. If they fucking play ding, 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 I walk out. (laughs) Don't ever bring me into anything with that shit playing and expect me to be like, wepa. Like, there are two social media influencers that are Puerto Rican that have huge platforms. Huge. That's their thing. They do that. God bless them. Whatever. That ain't me. 
Yeah. Salsa dancing for a while. I refused to speak Spanish. You know? Oh, you said all out. Oh, well, listen. Gr- like, just growing up and not knowing what's going on in your, in, within yourself, you know? And then being highly bullied on the other end of it and having parents that don't understand that. Like, you, you shut down and different is... Different is no good, you know? Different, mm-hmm. different meant bad. Mm-hmm. Until I realized that I, I messed up. In, in protecting myself, it was a mistake to, to, like, shy away from all these differences that make, make me beautiful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's that. And I, I don't even remember what the original question was <laughs> or where it was going. <laughs> We're talking we about, you're talking you know, about being deep within it. Yeah, I don't even, I, I don't remember where I was going, but, that, but that's okay. Well, we go off the rails here all the time, and that is the magic of In Your Mouth. You know, um, I kind of want to start with, or not start, I kind of want to move to a place of your love of food and where that came from. Tell me about that. Are you looking at this right now? I have yeah. a face built for radio, a body built for radio. Yeah. <laughs> I have always, there is a reason people will say, you know, my username is Igor Dait, right? And a lot of people will say like, oh, like you shouldn't use that. Like, oh, like, you know, you're kind of being negative against yourself and whatever, whatever, whatever. But the term literally comes from my grandma, right? Like every time I would go to her house, she would just like get up and disappear into the kitchen you know, and then she'd be like, food would be done in like 20 minutes, like a whole three-course meal done in 20 minutes. And then she would be like, come, mija, come, come, gorda, gorda, you know, come. That's what she called me, it was gorda. So that's literally what eat gorda eat comes from. It's just from what my grandma used to tell me all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no. and she was always in the kitchen. Like, I don't really, I have very few memories of her not outside her kitchen. And is that what inspired this, um, this, totally. cul- this culinary journey for you? Totally. And then going to school and yep. and the whole trajectory. Because even when I was in culinary school, which was I enrolled in 2009, I knew very quickly that there was no way that I was going to live my life as a chef. I was like, oh, hell no. Nope. No. This is not going down. Because, you know, they make you do externships and you have to work on the on-campus restaurants. And I was already, I had a couple of friends that were already working in restaurants. And my first gig was at an old spaghetti factory here. And I was like, no fucking way, dude. This is not happening. But what I did want to grad what I did want to major in was in English. So I put the two together and I was like, okay, food writing, that's what I'm gonna do. So any little like writing, I mean they barely gave us any like writing, you know, um things to do there. Any little writing thing they gave us to do, I would like just totally go all out, you know, to, like, try to impress them, like, in our marketing class and, you know, publicity classes and stuff like that that they gave us, food marketing and shit. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I just never looked back. Yeah. What was your first job then? What was your first writing job? My first, oh, my first writing job? Yeah. Wasn't until maybe, like, 2016, maybe, I already had a job working with broke-ass steward in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was like this uh, entertainment personality in San Francisco. 
And I started writing with them maybe like in, man, maybe like 2008, maybe before that. I can't really remember. But then I worked there for so long, ended up working there for like six years. I became a writer, and then I became an editor, and then I became their social media manager. So I was doing that for way before I went to culinary school. And that's where I kind of just practiced my writing. Like, all my writing for Brooke-Ass Stewart is, is terrible. It's awful grammar. It is just horrible. But it just allowed me to kind of, like, get it all out there, you know, where I would just write whatever the hell I wanted, kind of. Yeah. And then I my first ever writing, professional writing, was with Lucky Peach, okay. which is RIP. That's not around anymore. And that was like, you know, a culinary student's cult classic wet dream. Yeah, I, I, I don't know it. Lucky Peach was like the antithesis to like gourmet magazine like gourmet magazine was like for a specific type of person food network was around and that was for a specific type of person and then lucky peach was like that counterculture shit so anybody who like was obsessed with anthony bourdain who helped get lucky peach off the ground was gonna be into lucky peach i see i see i've often been told i have a lucky peach but i i I never know why (laughs) why why are you going there no no <laughs> if you're no. you should have seen her face <laughs> no here's the line and you have crossed it <laughs> what what did i say <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh this is incredible and i i mean i knew i w- it would be but this is really really special but right now i want to take a quick break because your girl needs to make three cents, literally three cents, and place an ad right here. And then I'm going to be back with my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, Ileana. Are you ready? Because I'm about to take you out to my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News update. There's something fishy about Kendall Jenner's tequila. A lawsuit alleges that Jenner's tequila brand is nothing more than a copycat. Oh my god. <laughs> Have you are you a drinker? Uh, not really. Not I really? used to be. Okay. Have 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 you heard of this eight one eight tequila? How can the, you not? When, it, when it has to do with the Kardashians, it's impossible not to hear any of this. Shit. I mean, you do live in California, so I didn't hear about it till New York Wine and Food Festival this past like last year, like what, mm-hmm. six months ago or whatever. Whenever it was, I was uh-huh. like, "What is this? Who?" Nothing that they do is original, but it's not about who does it first. It's about who marketed it better, right? 
Like even their like makeup line, like didn't they get into trouble because the artwork that they used with the the makeup dripping off the lips was like done originally by like a German artist or some shit like that? I I I am not a Kardashian stan. I'm more Neither of a am ha- I. I'm, I'm a housewives queen, not a Kardashian's queen. <laughs> I'm not a Kardashian's queen. I am a Bonchiche queen. Whatever the Bonchiche goes, I'm interested in hearing it. But briefly, just give me the rundown. Hurry up. Well, th- this is this is like food news bochinche. <laughs> That's what I should have said. Wait, I got to go back and record. Food news bochinche. Goodbye. Anyways, thank you to thetakeout.com for this article. Um, I mean, what what's really to say about it? Um, the Kardashians are being sued again, or the tequila brand, I should say, is being sued again by Austin-based brand Tequila 512 because it's apparently a copycat, allegedly a copycat, and... And that's what that's what it is. I think she also got in trouble for um, for like appropriating appropriating the tequila and the brand, like not being Mexican and having a tequila brand and all of that. I feel like that was in the news too a while ago when this came out. I thought it would be interesting because of I don't what know, you so do. Many people have tequila brands right now. They're not Mexican though. Doesn't Guy Fieri have one and Snoop Dogg and I don't. I don't know those. I don't. I don't know those uh, brands. But I feel like I would rather have a Snoop Dogg tequila brand than a Kylie Jenner one. <laughs> well, hers is called. What's confusing is the people who are suing her allegedly are saying that their brand is called Five One Two and hers is called Eight One Eight. Yeah, and it's it's all about like the bottle shape and the branding, um, amounting to trademark infringement. Trademark infringement, false designation of origin, and unfair competition. Well, that already sounds super similar anyway, the fact that they're numerical. like Yeah, but I mean, hello, Mr. 305. Like, people use area codes for everything. Who's that? That's, um, you know, a pit bull. No, I don't know any pit bull songs. <laughs> I don't think so. Isn't he Puerto Rican? No, he he's Cuban. He's Cuban. Oh. We do no. We are not a pit bull stand. Sorry, <laughs> no. We are no. not a pit bull stand, and we are not here for this eight one eight Kardashian no. drama. No. <laughs> no. The world's first molecular beverage printer claims to make thousands of drinks from iced coffee to wine. Would you drink a drink that was molecularly made? I mean, technically, I have already. Yeah, I guess if you're drinking soda, right? Well, not that. Like, you know, remember when molecular gastronomy was like a huge thing with like El Bulli and Jose Andres and... Oh, yes. Like, you're you're talking about like foams and pearls and things. And just things that used to be one thing and turned to another. Like, here is this, here is this uh, root beer powder. Poof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Poof. Here's this... Here's this essence of uh, Paloma. Poof. They take the little <laughs> thing off and it's just like this smoke. And they're like, inhale the smoke. You got your cocktail. <laughs> Is that not the same thing? 
<laughs> kind of. You're not wrong. There's, no, this, don't. there's this vodka tonic hand thing, and you're supposed to rub it into your hands, and then you're drunk, I guess? <laughs> These are don't, real things. Don't tell me you're a bruja uh, as well, because I'm looking for one, right? <laughs> I mean, aren't all Catholics a little bit, though? Um, Maybe, yes. A little bit. I'm going to say a little bit. A, a little, little bit, bit. A little bit of bruja. Right? Just like a little bit of Lexus. Yeah, apparently. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the image of that just came into my mind. A little bit uh, of Lexus. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. La, 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 la. Uh, well, I don't, have the, I don't have the money for the rights, so we got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real thing? Right? What? Yes, that's a real thing. Seriously. And, and it's also a real thing that I make about three cents per ad. So I certainly don't have a money, the money for that. Oh, my God. Anywho, Canna One's team studied the molecular makeup of drinks to build a machine that can recreate almost any beverage. Is that not any crazy? Any beverage. Any beverage. It's a countertop machine that is similar to a pod-based drink machine, but without the pods. Instead, Canna promises that the, a single Canna One ingredient cartridge can create hundreds of different beverages by pulling recipes from its universal ingredient set. That sounds kind of cool. It does sound cool. Um, I'm curious about like how they put the fermentation for the alcohol in there, though. Like, How does it get you drunk? So when they say drinks, they're talking about alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. Anything you want, if it's drinkable, right? You got it. What? <laughs> I guess people are bored. Or I'm just like, how does that work? Like, do you have to add your own like booze into it? Do you, is it like McDonald's where you have to have the machine and the like pumps up to the syrup containers in the basement? No, there's just this. There's a there's a cartridge. There's apparently a cartridge that like. Does its thing. Canna's team spent, yeah, Canna's team spent three years studying, studying what we drink at the molecular level, commercializing breakthrough research in flavor and analytical chemistry, the company writes. Canna scientists identified and isolated the specific trace compounds that drive flavor and aroma for thousands of unique commercially available beverages. They created the world's first universal, universal beverage ingredient set, which recreates thousands of different drinks using a simplified set of ingredients that can be printed out of a long-lasting ingredient cartridge. That is way too complicated for me to even apprehend. Yeah, right? You want to guess how much it cost? Uh, $3,000. No. Well, uh, it's actually more affordable than I thought. Right now, customers can reserve one of the machines with an upfront payment of $99, which will be applied to the final price, which is $4.99 for the first 10,000 orders or $7.99 after that. The cartridges are replaced as needed free of charge, but customers, get this bullshit, will pay per drink depending on what they ask their can of one to make. Advertised prices are $0.29 cents for sparkling water, $0.79 cents for an iced tea, or and $2.99 for a craft cocktail. After so you already paid the $7.99? Yeah, after you bought the machine. It's kind of like buying the Peloton and oh, yeah, then yeah. having to pay for the classes. No, nope. pass, <laughs> next. 
No. Oh, my God. Thank you to Food and Wine for always keeping me up to date with uh, my food news, even though you're still not a sponsor. Um, Yeah, I don't know if we're here for this at all, but it's a really cool idea, I do have to say. And last but not least, Ilyana, Wyoming now has an app that lets residents claim roadkill. I need more information. Claim roadkill. What? Yeah, the state passed a law allowing residents to pick up and presumably eat animals struck by vehicles last spring. (laughs) I mean, is it? it, I I actually don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. No, I'm not against them consuming roadkill. That's not what I'm against. I'm confused what the app does. So the app says, yo, there's some roadkill over here. Come pick yeah, it there's up. Yeah, like, there's like a, a, a deer over here by Route 80, you know, and Christopher Street. <laughs> come and Go, get it. Come and get it. Why do you say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say it like that? <laughs> that did not go over my head. I heard that. <laughs> I can't. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Come and get it. Come and get it. Uh, so Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon signed a bill that lets the residents of the state uh, collect roadkill that they either hit with their own vehicles or find on the side of their road. There are some restrictions. They can't pick up bighorn sheep, grizzly bears, mountain goats, or some mig- migratory birds, and they have to take the entire carcass with them instead of standing on the shoulder selecting prime cuts of meat. Thank you to whomever wrote this article, because you're very funny. Uh, Deer, elk, moose, pronghorn are the specific species that folks primarily have an interest in. Look at that. And now there's an app to to help you do that. (laughs) I mean, this is the news we need at this moment in time. Okay. And you mouth listeners, you should see her face. <laughs> All right. Final question for food news, Bochinche, over here. Um, if you had to eat roadkill, what would be your number one go-to? Deer. Venison. De- yeah. Really? I'd be, I'd, I'd be curious about some, uh, what did they call it? Pronghorns? The hell is that? I don't know. But I'm uh, assuming it's some sort of like... You know, deer-like, moose-like thing. A pronghorn. I want to try. Pr- I want to try prong. Oh, I want to try. You don't horns. even know what it is. You just said. <laughs> you just want to say pronghorns. Like- <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I am here for this, and with that, I think that's the best way to end food news, Bochinger. <laughs> P.S. A pronghorn is a species of the artiodactyl mammal indigenous uh, to the interior western and central North America. Look at that. It kind of looks like an elk or an antelope or a deer with small Mm. horns, just so you know. Just so you know and your children know, Marjorie. (laughs) So... (laughs) Let's get to this book before, (laughs) before we close out. Actually... I hopped, I slid back into your DMs with uh, with a fiery with a fiery bottom. <coughs> once you announced 
this book uh, was dropping, and I I have been following you for a while, obviously, but I was really, really happy to see that someone, someone, right, and um, obviously, specifically you, took this and is running with it and is has created this thing that I think I think we as a, a community, um, Puerto Rican and beyond, just really, really need. So congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um, the cover is stunning, right? Because that's all I've seen. I can't wait for my copy. Thank y'all. And- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, tell us about the inspiration. Tell us about creating it. Give us... Give us give us all the details. Yeah, you're right. I did take it and run with it. I ran fast before they decided to change their mind. I got the hell out of there with that check. Like, thank you, goodbye. Don't change your mind. Bye. Yeah. Um. I mean, but know, it was a long journey. It wasn't that's an what easy journey. Say, you know, you know how long it took me to get to this place. You know, like I some you someone finally picked it up and. I'm so thankful that that someone was 10-speed press, you know, because they were my first choice because they started out in Berkeley. And, I mean, they're still centered in Berkeley, even though they're now owned by, um, you know, Penguin and Random House. But to me, 10-speed will still be, like, you know, a local press that... And they focus on local California, you know, chefs and writers. So I'm glad that they're my first choice, even though it took, you know, that long to get to them. Like it took me that long to get to them, but I got to the right people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where did the, where did the inspiration for the, for the book come from? Well, obviously the name Diasporican or Diasporican, depending on how you pronounce it, um, you know, it's about us. Like, it's about the people who, about the Puerto Ricans that live here, you know? Like, we are, like, 5.5 million, I think, right now. We are more than the Puerto Ricans on the island. And no one is really telling our story because, you know, like I, we were talking about earlier, they don't think it's important, you know? Exactly. Um, the It comes, to, you know, I didn't really get the idea to write a Puerto Rican cookbook until after my grandma. Well, she was still alive, but she was on her deathbed. I had another book, a little tiny cookbooklet. It was like 10 pages that me and my cuñado put together. And I remember showing it to her while she was inside the hospital. And that little book was like, it was supposed to serve as kind of like a little supplement to send to agents and stuff to get them, you know, excited about wanting to pick me up, um, you know, as talent. But of course, that day didn't come until, what, seven years later. So... All the 10 recipes that were in that little book or all her recipes, you know, I finally sat down with her and, you know, because all of her recipes, there are, there, there are recipes. They're all in her head, you know, and there's no measurements or anything like that. And, you know, that's why people are like, you know, oh, I try to cook it, you know, like my grandma, but, you know, I did everything she did and it didn't come out like that. So that's why I'm like, you know, we're going to sit in the kitchen together and I'm going to, you know, measure everything you do and watch everything and record everything. And all of that came out in that little booklet. And then she died, like, in 2015, like, maybe, like, six months after the little booklet was, like, released. And then I've been spending the rest of my career basically trying to, like, preserve her memory. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And share it with the world. That's incredible. Favorite recipe from the book? Um, always arroz con gandules. Mm. I always make that for everybody. 
Yeah. Um, you know what? You bring up a good point about, you know, family members, right? Puerto Rican family members or maybe even, you know, people from deeply culturally rooted, you know, families and having that matriarch, patriarch that like really cooks, that has that hand, right? Mm-hmm. That is not measured. And I was just saying to people, right? Because I always talk about my mother's cooking on this podcast, right? And for some reason, her white rice is my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because Puerto Rican white rice is not just plain white rice. That's yeah. why, right? It has yeah. a lot of flavor in it. There's so much flavor and like the grains. You could pick up grain by grain and it's like meaty, you know, mm-hmm. for some reason without there being meat. And right. um and it's not the way I eat because, you know, the gay body dysmorphia of it all. <laughs> um but I was just saying to my friends that I need to start getting on FaceTime and getting in that kitchen to preserve that you know because Mm -hmm. there is yeah I can make it she could like say it to me over the phone but it's that like turn of the hand or it's that Mm -hmm. folding motion or you know every time she asked me to fold the rice I would just you know stir it and she'd be like you're doing it wrong and you know you're folding from the outside to the inside and and all of that you know and so so you bring up a very very good point of of having to sit there and and be part of the process because, because it's it's that finesse, it's that right. finesse that right. that is missing. You know, when mm-hmm. when we, as lay people or as right. as you know, outsiders of the kitchen, you know, are trying to do these things, are doing these things. Favorite moment while creating it. You talk a lot about. Well, the reason I ask is because you've had a lot of stories recently, as as you promote the book and whatnot, about all these moments. Uh, you tell all these beautiful stories about all these moments shooting and all these moments like cooking with your mom and like how the cover came to be and, and whatnot. So I figured maybe maybe you had like a really like special like highlight moment out of all of that. I mean, not really necessarily. Like, I think it's just like the whole thing because I got to spend so much time. It was like an excuse to spend so much time with, like, you know, my mom and my cuñada going across, you know, California and stuff. And it really kind of gave me, um, not an, it gave me like an excuse to like finally go and meet with like a lot of the farmers around California that I've been wanting to do for a long time anyway. And I could just be like, you know, oh, like I'm writing a book. And then they wouldn't be like wondering, like, what the hell is this person doing out here? You know, so and I mean, it just happened to be around the same time that the pandemic hit, too. And people were like freaking out as like, you know, food shortages and stuff like that. But, you know, we just happen to be lucky enough to live in a part of California that just produces so much food for the rest of the country anyway. So when there was, like, a rice shortage, you know, I could go to, like, a rice farmer. If there was, like, you know, like, there was, like, a pork shortage, I can go to, like, the pork farmer. And the pork farmer ended up being a part of not just my cookbook, but they ended up being a large just kind of, um, what do they call it? When, like, you got, like, an artist, a supporter of the, a patron of the arts. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, like, you know, giving me, like, whole hogs for, you know, my rap party which was the recipe that was the hardest to create in the book was to tell people how to roast a whole hog. Like I know what it should look like and I know the materials that you need, but I don't know how to articulate that shit and trying to find other books that would kind of give me like an idea 
was impossible because there are I couldn't find more than maybe one or two books that even had the process of roasting a whole hog on a spit because everybody does it in that kind of South Carolina way where they just butterfly the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, all those moments are just like, there's so many moments that are so fucking memorable to me and I can't really choose which one is more special than the other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you had a demographic for the book, who would the book be for? You. Me. That's why uh, you're I, talking to me. I mean, it, it, it's part of the reason why I'm talking to you. Ni de aquí, ni de allá. Absolutely. You know, it's just, I'm so excited for it. I can't, I, I literally can't wait for it to uh, be in my hands and to uh, show it to the masses as well. Because uh, the minute the minute you announced it is the minute I sent it to, like, my crew and and as diasporicans ourselves, and we have talked a lot about diaspora culture here on the podcast, but like, you know, just within my friend group, you know, as well, everyone's like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And so it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting moment. And I'm, I'm excited for you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, there's a great debate that has happened on this podcast once about plantains. And, and, whether people like, uh, are we a sweet plantain or or the fried salty plantain person? Because <laughs> uh... there's been a couple of Puerto Ricans on the podcast that they were like, I hate to admit it, but no me gusta maduros. <laughs> you know? But it's like blasphemy. <laughs> I, okay. I think I'm going to go with probably savory more. It's not that I don't like maduros. It's just that so few people know how to do them well. Yeah, because they can come out a little mushy greasy. Right, greasy. And sometimes not because of the way that bananas are gassed here or platanos are gassed here in bananas in this country. They may not get a chance to really ripen to their full uh, blossom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they fry them, and they're just not as sweet as you know they can be. And it's like, okay, what is the point of this? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But our savory platanos, you know, we can just... they We have savory in so many applications, like mofongo and tostones and just boiled viandas to eat with bacalao and stuff, you know, so... Yes. I am not a bacalao fan. You you can... Y'all can keep that. <laughs> not even bacalaitos? Uh, maybe now in my, you know what? My palate has changed in my 41 years. I just remember, I just remember the bathtub and the dripping faucet to defrost it, you know? The bathtub? Yes. What is happening? How much bacala are you guys defrosting over here? <laughs> I don't know. I just remember. So you need a whole bathtub. Huh? Well, I mean, it's just where it happened because other things were happening, happening in the kitchen. We didn't have space. Is there a bucket in the bathtub at least? Yes, it's not like oh, that. Okay. <laughs> There's a pot. <laughs> it's not like I it's not like me at like eight years old is taking a, a bath with the bacalao. That's what I was envisioning. <laughs> no, it's just a little photo of little you with like bacalao, you're just like <laughs> 
like it's just good for the pores, I guess. <laughs> yeah, hello. Why do you think this skin looks so good? <laughs> okay, there's a po- okay. I need c- context, context. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my goodness. This has been so wonderful, and I can't thank you enough. Tell the kids where to get the book, first and foremost, and I'm obviously going to put it out in the liner notes. You can pre-order now. Pre-sales are live right now. Everywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, your local bookstore. I don't know, but call them and find out. That's right. Uh, Google is your best friend, and like I said... I will uh, link it out in the liner notes. And if we can support small bookstores, why not do that, right? But get, but I'm going to tell you now, and you, you all better listen to me. You need to get your hands on this book, right? Because it's going to be epic for sure. It's not going to be. It is epic. Um, let the kids know where they can find you on the internet to see your wonderful rants. Um, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at eatgordaeat. Yes, and there is a there's a lot to see, y'all. There's a lot to see from from beautiful stories and photos to much, much more. Indeed, I can't thank you enough for coming on the pod with me today. This has been so special, and I hope this isn't the last time Thanks you are here me. with me. You know, right? We've had we've had the spirit of Michael Twitty with us, who wrote the forward for your book too. He did. He did. He signed on to do that way before I even got the book deal. Oh my goodness, I love him so much. Yes. Like he has been a a a magical spirit in the background for me for for quite ever since we met. So And he didn't ask me, he told me. So Yes. <laughs> well, so. that's I feel like that's the way he operates, but in the best of all possible ways. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. <laughs> and who, I was like, "Okay, who am okay. I to say no?" No, I was summoned. I was su- <laughs> I I got called. <laughs> I was Children, so- come hither. That, it's exactly what happened. Uh, quick story in your mouth, listeners. Mike, uh, we can now talk about it. Michael Twitty has a master class out, and congratulations, mm-hmm. shout out to you, right? That you can go on, and he talks about food pathways, uh, African food pathways, and he does what he does beautifully. But he was in New York, and we kind of had like Instagrammed a little here and there, and he hit me up. He goes, What are you doing? You need to meet me at this time. I dropped everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was the best decision I ever made. Yep. For sure. For sure. But once again, I can't thank you enough for giving me of your time, right? Coming here to laugh with me and tell your story and giving me a moment to celebrate you and this new book of yours. Um, it's been so, so wonderful. So thank you again. Thank you. Anytime. In your mouth, listeners, go get the book, go get some sunshine. Um, I'm keeping it short today, and that's all I have to say, with the exception of thank you for listening to In Yo